Love the haiku. Love the sonnet. Love the quatrain and the couplet. Love the words. From East Leeds FM. So you're listening to Love the Words here on East Leeds FM. And uh, today we have a, a special guest. We have the singer, songwriter, all-round good egg, Rick Neal. <laughs> Hello, Peter. How are you doing? Yeah, it's great to have you here. And, I mean, we we, we did a programme together uh, when it wasn't called Love the Words, probably about 10 years ago, about lyric writing. Do you remember that? I do remember. I can't believe it was 10 years ago. But I'm sure you're right. Yes, I remember it very fondly. Yeah, we uh, was at the old, uh, at ye old Boggart Hill, wasn't it? Ah, yes. Ah, yes. It sounds exactly, it's a very Dickensian name for that place as well, isn't it? You know what I mean? Yeah. It really sounds like how it, how it felt. Absolutely. <laughs> well, we're going to be talking today about your new album, Connected, Disconnected. Um, and playing some tracks from that. And we're going to be looking, because we are Love the Words, we're going to be looking particularly at lyric writing, the art of lyric writing, and the lyrics on the on the songs and on the album, and where they come from and how you craft them. So, um, yeah, so Rick, first of all, tell us about the album Connected, Disconnected, why the, the title is intriguing. Tell us about that. <laughs> well, I mean, the title only makes sense if I give you a little bit of backstory on the record, which basically is that I had made a, a series of records that were all very um, conceptual. So I'd made Lullabies for Parents, which was a kind of song cycle about parenting. Uh, you know, they all had kind of something thematic that ran through them. And obviously I work a bit in, in musical theatre and stuff, so I'd written songs. In fact, I, I think I played Never Worn. I, we can, me and Rob came in and did it on, on Chapel FM, you didn't did. we? Yeah, lovely. Um, and again, it was, you know, quite high concept. Um, and I, though I love those records, was really interested in the idea of just going, well, I'm just going to write some songs. And I never really had an intention of making an album. And instead, was just excited about working with different producers and different musicians to try and find ways of connecting with different people. And so I began this process and sort of made a few singles and then sort of made a few more. And then during lockdown, wrote some things that I recorded here and worked with people separately, like online kind of thing. Um, and then ended up going, oh, I've actually got, 10 songs here that's kind of an album um and so then the title uh, connected disconnected they're all connected these songs because they're all essentially by me uh, and i've kind of gone through my sort of taste filter but they're disconnected in that they are not really connected thematically um and also the title kind of spoke to how i felt when i was putting this all together which was during the first lockdown, lockdown classic, as we call it in our house, the best lockdown. Um, uh, so, yeah, we felt really connected with each other as a family, me and my wife and my kids and my dog, but very disconnected from the rest of the world. So those kind of terms kind of kept coming around. And uh, and that's where the name came from. Yeah, that that's interesting. I did. I did certainly wonder whether it was 
uh, connected, so to speak, to the lockdown uh, and to that whole period because it, that, that title speaks eloquently of that. So in terms of thematic content, not really this time then. No, not really. I mean, I did observe some things rearing their head uh, quite regularly. And there's certainly a couple of songs on there, probably more in truth, that are about um, the passing of uh, a friend. My, my best friend had passed away um, uh, with a brain tumour, sort of the Christmas before the first lockdown. And so there's a song on there called Difficult Day, which we may well talk about later, and Shot in the Arm, are kind of very much about my response to that. There's weirdly a couple of themes that I started to observe about masculinity that are on the record, um, uh, which is kind of, again, it's not enough to be a theme, but once I put the songs together, I was kind of like, oh, this is obviously things that have been on my mind. So it was more accidental than planned. Well, let's hear a song from Connected, Disconnected. Uh, which one would you like us to play first? And could you introduce it for us? Nothing would bring me greater pleasure, Pete. Um, uh, let's start at the beginning, shall we? So this is a song called The Hill They Can't Get Over. It's the first song on the album. Uh, and though I kind of wrote it on the piano, it ended up being produced by a wonderful musician and producer called Jacob Clark. Um, and uh, it ended up sounding much more expansive than that. And the lampposts reach fingers of light 
Till the dawn takes the load Then it breaks And it lights up their way She's indicating But he doesn't see He rolls the window And it starts to collide He can't put his foot down And she says, let's drive as far as this car will go Let's scrape the bottom of the wall to drive Let's push the pedal to the point of no return But there's a hill that they can't get That was The Hill They Can't Get Over by Rick Neal um, from his new album, Connected, Disconnected. And Rick's with us today talking about the album, talking particularly about the lyric writing uh, that he does on the album, but also just generally, because I know that, Rick, you take a great deal of care with your lyrics. Tell us about the lyric for that one. Um, This song came from a conversation that I'd had with another artist about... I mean, for those of you who've not seen me perform, uh, it's basically me and a piano for, you know, as long as you'll have me. Um, And I I think we were talking about how it's weird. It it feels uncomfortable. It just being all about me. And my opinion is so central to everything that happens on the stage, be that I'm talking in between songs or the lyrics themselves. So I was kind of really interested about writing a song I wasn't in. And so I kind of set myself the task of writing one of those kind of third person type story songs and only allowing opinion, like editorial content, if you like, in one line. And that line is the title, but but there's a hill they can't get over. So I started to create this kind of story about these two um, young people who were going to run away together. um, And, you know, despite the fact that they were very much in love, there was just something that you just kind of knew it wasn't going to work out be it that their parents were going to catch up with them, be it that they weren't quite in love enough to kind of sacrifice their family lives, et cetera, et cetera. Um, So that's kind of where the idea came from. And then I got really excited about the idea of, of, of just giving almost stage directions and facts in the verses. So I was never kind of saying, you know, I was never giving anything away about the characters. It was just their actions. So the first verse, she packs a bag at the break of day, she creeps downstairs, she jumps the gate, and he's parked exactly where he said he'd be, and she sees his outlaw smile. It's kind of no, like, opinion there. I'm not kind of going, she gingerly packs a bag. You know what I mean? Um, I wanted to make it really kind of cold. And the other thing that occurred when I was writing this song is I saw that um, uh, Kenneth Branagh version of Murder on the Orient Express uh, and I'm kind of quite an Agatha Christie fan anyway. And one of the things I observed about it was each character kind of has an introductory scene 
Um, so you kind of find out each one. I thought, oh, I could apply that to the song. So that bit I just read you was Herbert. And then the next bit is kind of his his character. It's his brother's car. He stole the keys. It's a bucket of rust, but at least it's free. And then the second verse is her mum and then his dad. So kind of each of these characters gets um, like a kind of almost whodunit style exposition. Does that make sense? It certainly does. Interesting exercise and, and, a, and a, a, a structural challenge for yourself. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, you 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 just read the the first lyric about uh, the first part of that lyric, going downstairs and there's his outlaw smile, but which is by uh, by the way a lovely a lovely phrase in a lyric, I think, and it, and it's yeah. it's very visual, and I think that's it seems to be that that you know that's that's the the trick of great storytelling in songwriting is to is to make pictures. I think an unusual thing about this song was even though I wrote it in the third person, in my mind. I am in it. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think a natural thing that songwriters do is go, oh, well, I feel this way about a thing. So this is going to be a song that goes, I feel this way. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. But I like through actively choosing to take myself out of it by putting it all in a third person. Um, I think it kind of opened up a completely different thing that allowed a, a more freedom in the visual, because essentially as soon as you would picture me in that, then obviously it doesn't kind of work because I'm, you know, I'm not young enough. To, well, I suppose I was going to say I'm not young enough to be running away from my family, but actually, oddly, I am now old enough to be running away from my family. But, <laughs> <laughs> um, but you get my point, right? I wanted to get across this idea of this kind of teenage, um, this sort of teenage love, I guess. Which, as soon as you put me in it, I think is just harder to imagine because I ain't no teenager. It uh, brought to mind she's leaving home. By the oh, way. lovely! Uh, Great, yeah. I'll take that. Uh, yeah, well. <laughs> Yeah, in terms of you know the subject of it in a sense, but also as I say, the pictures that the song created in my mind, at least. So this is a really uh, such a corny question when it went to songwriters, but um, <laughs> for you, how does the song start? Is it with a, is it with a fragment of of tune? Is it with a uh, an atmosphere for the song? Is it a structural challenge like the one you've just talked about? Is it is it like a line or a story? I think the older I get, the more I'm going to say seasoned I get. Let's say that. Um, I think more and more it becomes about an academic observation, which doesn't sound very cool, but something like the idea of oh well, I wonder if I could write an entire song that I'm not in, like that is essentially the starting point. And then immediately that lends itself to a huge amount of lyrical ideas because you start thinking, okay, well, what story could I write that I'm not in and how could I write it, which I've kind of already talked about. But also musically, you kind of go, okay, well, as soon as I had the idea of the story, it was like, okay, well, it is morning. It is definitely first thing in the morning. Uh, that was where all the images were in my head. So I started making music that sounded like the morning. Um, I wanted to, to portray a degree of vulnerability and a lack of sureness between these these two characters. So I did things like the bass notes of the song is in B flat. Um, and normally you would have a B flat arriving on beat one of each bar, but actually it starts on a leading note. So that it never fully finds its own feet until a couple of beats after where you might find it comfortable, more comfortable to do so, which again has its own narrative properties. So um, very often, they are quite these are quite academic things i'm sort of talking about but obviously it's also got to sound good right mm. <laughs> so um so it's kind of a mixture of all those things but when i found that piano riff that dong 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 with that c and that f um the two and the five sitting on top of it um it it felt so um careful fragile 
um, uh, in a way that it, I could see this girl creeping down those stairs and a, this guy nicking his brother's car keys, like creeping around. Uh, so yeah, it, that was kind of, that initial idea was where it came from. It's not a great answer to that question because essentially the answer is neither. It's neither music comes first nor lyrics, everything. I think in the songs that I think I'm happier with tends to come from the same DNA. Sure. I was just, you know, you've, you're obviously technically very assured and you have the knowledge about how music works. You have the academic language as well. But how much of what you do, say, in the music uh, is unconscious and how much is conscious? I mean, are you thinking, oh, I'm going to start with a B flat? Or, you know, or is, do you, do you, do you, as I, because I'm more of an instinctive writer <laughs> in terms of music and I don't really know my tech, uh, my technical language or my musical language, I tend to just go for it. And afterwards I go, oh, that's what I did. Actually, that works quite well. How is it for you? I think it's a mixture of both. I think having a lot of technical knowledge, which I do have, is, um, is a blessing and a curse. Should we say? Um, I think that I, I, I think people think when they hear me talk about music that I'm kind of sat in some laboratory with like slide rules and bubbling test tubes and the like. Um, but it's not quite as scientific as that because I will what I would call free write, i.e., I will just kind of play around and find some things. But then I apply. I think at my best, I then look at that and like um, and then apply some technical knowledge to it. So this song, I don't know if you can hear. Can you hear this piano? Yeah. Oh, that's worked out nicely, hasn't it? So in this song, back to back. At first, when I first free wrote, I had she back to back in the dead of night, in the break of day. And um, and what I, I I wasn't getting enough out of that note. I love the phrasing and I love the rhythm. So instead of starting on a note one, which is very confident, I moved the whole thing up to a note two. So it goes she back to back. At the break of day. And because I was never landing, and then that became another academic observation of going, well, I wonder if I could just not use note one at all until we arrive at the chorus. Mm. To, to, so that my, I'm using my technical knowledge essentially as a storytelling tool. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think it's, uh, it's, so it's really an interplay between the unconscious and the conscious. I like that because I, th I actually do feel that's how a, a lot of creativity happens. It's in that sort of region between. And I, I love the way, uh, yeah, it was great having you playing on the piano there. I mean, it's because it's, it's, it's nicely worked there. But it's, it's um, yeah, and that, sec that step of hurrying things along, that's what it sounded like when you... I, I, uh, when you went into that slightly uh, pushed figure there, yeah. it, it created the sense of anticipation of nervousness, you know, uh, of, of her packing and her going out. I mean, so just that musical adjustment, that slight adjustment you made there, um, really uh, does the job. And that's, that's I guess, uh, what it's about. I mean, creating that in the listener and I, I almost like a sort of visceral sense we don't go oh well, that's what he's done there oh he's pushed that on a bit or he's left those uh, it, we're, we're just thinking oh that's yeah she's ready to go she's gonna go i want to know what happens next we're feeling it without thinking it and i guess that's uh, it would be a very dull if we were thinking oh how interesting what rick has done there in the second bar <laughs> anyway let's have a, let's hear another song uh, yes, um, this one uh, is called Quiet Before the Storm. Uh, and it, I think 
I think this was the last song I wrote for this. In fact, maybe not. It was one of the last songs that I wrote for this project. And it's called Quiet Before the Storm.
quiet before the storm. So that was Quiet Before the Storm from Connected Disconnected, Rick Neal's new album. And we're talking to Rick now and hearing some insights into the, the creation of the songs, particularly on the lyric side, given that we are a words programme. So, Rick, yeah, tell us a little about this this um, this song and, and how it came to be and, and what it is for you. Um, this song <clears throat> came into being kind of from memory in two different ways. One of them was, um, I have a song that was on a record I released a long time ago. The, the, the album was called All That Counts and the song is called Just A Few Hours Away. And um, in this song, it's kind of about me and my wife kind of disappearing off and kind of we're only a few hours away from kind of everything making sense. And in the middle section of that song, there's this bit where the emotion of it and the intensity changes completely. And essentially I am coloring me and my wife stood at the edge of the ocean. Um, and I sort of realized how much I loved playing that kind of emotional beat of this kind of almost holding your breath, kind of like, oh, it's it's fine, we're here, you know. And so I thought, I wonder if I can essentially do a whole song that does that, um, which is kind of what this song is kind of about. It's kind of like, uh, that is the emotional intensity that I wanted to have across the whole song, rather than something that shifts, for example. So that was one place. The other place was, um, this um, is a very unartistic answer, but I'm going to go for it anyway. Um, this album was released by um, St. in the City Records, a small record company, which our mutual friend uh, Ed Heaton um, uh, runs. Mm. And we were talking about kind of, because they then sort of said, oh, well, we'll release this album. And I kind of went, okay, well, look, you, I mean, what, what do you want? What would look like success to you? And they were kind of like, well, look, playlists is kind of a thing where we get all the plays and all the streams and that kind of thing. And we seem to be doing really well with those kind of like Sunday morning kind of kind of coffee break type um, playlists. And so I was like, oh, OK, that is a, an emotional beat that I understand. So essentially between those two pieces of information, I then kind of went, right, this song is going to be about the moment, um, like, for example, before the kids wake up or that moment, you know, when you're sat in the pub before you are about to, you know, go to work. Or, you know, if you work in the evening, that is. I don't have a problem. Uh, <laughs> um, uh, but it's like about that, like, very pure moment of like, we're okay at this moment. Uh, things have been complicated and things are going to be complicated. Something that I was fascinated by about this song, which I wrote relatively fast, um, uh, was when I started performing it live, it immediately found itself like people immediately gravitated towards this song, even in a, in a set amongst other songs that I'm much more, you know, I guess I've just played for longer and therefore you could argue I'm better at playing. Um, but people really gravitated toward the energy of this song. And I think it was partly because of uh, aforementioned lockdown. Like I was kind of first gigging this around about like August just gone and September when it really did feel like the quiet before the storm. It felt like kind of the last bit before when September starts and everything is quote unquote back to normal. Uh, and everything gets busy again. So I think it kind of found a bit of an emotional resonance at the point when I was kind of just in the process of recording it. Yeah, so that's interesting that you, uh, yeah, there was, so there are two things at work there, really. There's there's the, 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 the idea of writing for a particular playlist, which seems in a sense quite, you know, quite, quite deliberately, yeah, 
sort of conscious and crafted as a as, as an idea that's and, and as a as a purpose for the song but also it feels it it feels like a personal song for you as well in the sense that you've got small children there was the lockdown and as you say the quiet before that storm that was coming in the autumn after that august yeah. um rick you talked about um the, the live evenings well sorry you talked about playing live and and how you you discover stuff through playing the songs live and i know you 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 i've been to some of the the fantastic evenings you organize in in wakefield and i'd like you to talk about those but yeah in terms of, of playing the songs what do you do yeah is it important for you to to play these live before you record them um very much so i think is the only i don't think it is for all writers and i think you know i, I wouldn't want people to go i have to play this live 20 times before i record it but for me i kind of find where the push and the pull of it is in front of a live audience and also whether it is an actual emotional state that is worth rendering you know what i mean like if i can get a room to feel the way i uh, that uh, you know if i can use a song to enable a room to share an emotional moment then that is absolutely a song that is worth persevering with um so i'll often you know i will write more than i record but I will perform virtually everything I write, if that makes any sense. Um, there are there were three or four songs, for example, that were written that could quite easily have gone on this album uh, that I have performed live, but I decided not to record them for you know all manner of reasons. But um, yeah, I think one of the things again that comes with just experience, especially when you perform the way I do, i.e., it is a piano and a voice, is the realization that about 80% of what I'm doing is actually receiving information mm. from an audience. Not like, you know, they're throwing stuff at me, although, you know, that, you know, that, that can happen. <laughs> um, but like you are, you become incredibly aware of when a room then kind of meets with your emotional state, you can feel it, you know, and you'll know that Pete, you've performed a great deal. Mm. Um, and those moments are kind of sort of priceless. And actually now when I gig, I mean, it used to be when I was younger, I'd go, right, I hope I sing the right words and, and press the right keys, you know? Uh, whereas now it's very much a, I hope I can find that moment at least four times in the next hour, because if I can, it's like priceless. And so I think that's another thing that's great about the piano, right? Because the piano has just got, because you're a piano player as well, it's just got such a huge dynamic resonance. You can be really, really quiet in the way that I don't think you can as easily be on an acoustic guitar that's plugged in, for example. Because, you know, very often when I'm doing a gig on a piano, it's not even plugged in, right? It's just an acoustic instrument in a room. And I'm feeling different registers emote in different ways on different pianos in front of different audiences. And I, I like to believe that an audience can kind of pick up that I'm trying to find something as well. And in that process, they also then try and find something. So, yeah, I learn a lot from playing these songs in front of an audience. So let's hear, let's hear um, the third song. And perhaps you could chat a bit about this first before we hear it, just to, 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 vary, the, uh, to vary our process. Yeah, it'd be interesting to hear... Uh, just a little introduction in terms of where it came from and and the lyric particularly before we, we before we actually hear the song well the next song uh i think i uh i mentioned to you is called shot in the arm um now this is one that i wrote during uh very much during lockdown uh and one of the reasons is here at my house i have a piano which is let's put this uh, bluntly not very good um uh, i love it dearly but it's by no means is it a beautiful instrument. But what it is great at is two things. 
uh, one of them is kind of boogie woogie nonsense, right? Uh, and I do, and so when like you know me and the kids are hanging out, that's kind of all I'll play, like sort of daft boogie woogie things. And in fact, one of those boogie woogie kind of things um, is um, it, it turned into "I'm Not That Song," which is another one of the record uh, tracks on the record. But the other thing it does really well is kind of slightly broken, really characterful shonky business <laughs> which i've not explained very well but um i was really interested by this repeat this is not my piano this is an electric piano so it's less shonky but i had this figure of just an octave of a note and something about it felt very heavy uh, i don't mean heavy in a kind of like neil from the young ones kind of way i mean like heavy there's just it felt like it was pushing weight down on my chest um, and uh, so I kind of explored that on the on the my, my piano here, and then um, I put that together with a conversation that I'd had with a friend of mine. And um, as I had mentioned uh, about my my friend passing, kind of one of the things that I think happens when we are in grief is there's a point when you go right. Well, I need to really make the most of everything um, because you know if it is a very uh, kind of clear. Uh, sense that things can end before you might be ready for them to. Um, and so I remember kind of after that Christmas of kind of the initial kind of shock of it going, right, I'm going to do everything. And I kind of set up meetings with, you know, meetings sounds very posh, but essentially going out for a pint with lots of people that I maybe don't get to see as much as I'd like, you know, gigs in exciting places, working with unusual people. And then obviously lockdown happened. And um, I remember saying to this friend of mine at this point, because I was kind of basically cancelling plans that we had had, um, that I was looking for, a, you know, I'd been looking for a shot in the arm. And then kind of sometime after the conversation, I was like, oh, I quite like the balance of I was looking for a shot in the arm and instead I ended up getting shot in the head. Mm. Um, that kind of balance statement of using the shot in both ways. And then I was like, oh, that's a really nice little lyric that's kind of clever, but also incredibly sad. Um, so then I started playing around with other, I like the word that shots is not kind of the, it's not an emotional word. It's not a word that you would normally find in a song. So to pair it with another version of itself in that way, I was really interested by. And then I did the same thing with the word lift in, I was looking for a little lift. I ended up falling down a lift shaft. Mm. Um, uh, and I kind of basically positioned each of these at the end of each of what became the verses. Um, and really the whole song is kind of about a very tired person kind of going, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to definitely make the most of my life. <laughs> um, kind of despite all the evidence around you suggesting you're, you, you're possibly not going to be able to do that for a while. You know what I mean? So even the first line, still trying to put my best foot forward, still trying to get up off my knees. I'm counting every breath, trying to keep it all together. Um, this kind of idea of like, right, you know, we're going to, we're going to be okay, maybe. Um, uh, but yeah, so that's kind of where this song came from. Does that all make sense? Totally. And it's, uh, yeah, I mean, I think what that's, what you've just been speaking about speaks to me of the economy of songwriting. You've got three or four minutes. You've got a few verses, a chorus, uh, not <clears throat> many words. And I think, yeah, I needed, a, I was looking for a shot in the arm. I got a shot in the head. It's a very economic way and kind of also yeah in in phrases almost cliches that we know uh, yeah and that's there's no shame in that and that's not criticism i mean it's 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 an employment of those the familiarity of those phrases to do something as you say that is more profound in a sense and speaks speaks to us deeply about loss um yeah 
Sorry, are you about? I cut you off there. You're going to say something there, Rick? No, not at all. Not at all. I was listening to you pontificate wisely. <laughs> <laughs> Most people don't add the wisely on that. <laughs> I thought it was necessary. <laughs> Let's hear the song "Shot in the Air."
So that was Shot in the Arm from Connected Disconnected uh, by the singer-songwriter Rick Neal. So, uh, yeah, Rick, you've talked um, a bit about, uh, you know, the, working with Ed Heaton and with the label. I mean, this this album is getting a lot of listens and a lot of attention, and that must be a great feeling. But it how does that how has that happened now? I'm not suggesting that... A, 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 people haven't listened to your albums in the past but this is seems like a step on and some people will be wondering how does that yeah how do, how do you do that um i mean i think it's quite it's a very complicated question to answer i think there are a number of factors i think ultimately spotify is a very complicated gauge of whether people are listening or not because even though this has had x number of streams like if it's just on a playlist in some coffee shop in, you know, uh, I don't know, Rio, then that's not necessarily, I, I would not class that as worth as much of a listen as someone who is sitting down with a glass of wine and actually choosing to listen. To, do you know what I mean? So, so I think something that happens when a label release something is essentially they've just got access to more access to get things onto playlists. And so this album has had like 60 odd thousand streams at this point which is a huge number for me like it, it's colossal um but when you look when you break that down into where the, and, and, and with the spotify kind of for artists app which i'm sure you you've, you've probably played around with Peter, you get a sense of like where they're listening from and very often it's like you can see there's, there's a playlist called like sunday morning playlist for example um that it, that i've had like you know i've had about 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 thirty thousand of those listens are from songs that have been placed on there by the record label so I think a lot of it is essentially getting access to playlists because a lot of people listen to playlists. I must admit, I don't listen to playlists that have been curated by anyone other than me or my friends, but lots and lots of people do. So there's huge numbers to be found there. I'd say that's one thing. The other thing is I love, um, as I've already kind of made reference to in performance, I kind of love the song Unadorned. Yeah. So I love the, like a performance of piano and voice. It's my favorite thing or guitar and voice or whatever the, the hell it is. And I love records that have got like drums and all this kind of stuff on. And that's great. But I am such a fan of kind of the absolute vulnerability uh, and kind of um, pure songwriting craft that comes with presenting a song in that way. That I think the last number of albums I've done have all been just piano and voice. And I've essentially tried to capture a performance in the way that you've seen me do down at Monochrome in, in Wakefield. Yeah. This record, I actively chose to do something different. And I think the fact that there are so many more instruments on, there is a wider palette, makes it weirdly easier to listen to because it is less intense. I think there is a, uh, that you know, it can be on in the background in the way that I don't think Lullabies for Parents could. Um, that, plus the fact I work with lots of different producers, meant that there's quite a lot of genres on the album. So one of the streams, one of the tracks that's had the most streams is a song called Never Go Home. And the reason it's had that many streams is because it's found itself on like country music playlists. Now, I would not necessarily say it was a country song, but it's probably the most country-ish type song that I have. Um, but that would never happen if it was just presented with piano and voice, if that makes any kind of sense. So I think getting things onto playlists with the help of a label or a, you know, or a promoter in some way, I think definitely ups those numbers. But also... I think my fan base, such as it is, are quite excited about the fact that this it still sounds like me, but it's got very different clothes on. It's like it, it feels like a um, uh, a development 
you know, in a way that I think is uh, is really positive. So um, so that, and I also think, and I've given you a very long answer to this, I do apologize. But, no, um, the, the other thing I did was because I love those kind of piano and voice versions on the Spotify version of the album, there are seven bonus tracks, which are basically songs from the record. In fact, all the ones we've talked about today have got a solo piano and voice recorded live in a studio version. Now, that means that anyone that sits down to listen to Connected Disconnected, I'm getting 17 plays off. As opposed to if they were sitting down to listening to an EP that I'd released, for example, I would get five plays off that. Does that make sense? Because there's only five tracks on it. So, um, yeah, I think there's kind of a lot of reasons. Um, but ultimately, I don't really know. And I will also add, weirdly, because I don't know the quality of those listens, i.e. are people sitting down and really digging this? Or is it just on in the background? I don't. I can't really take much stock from it because, let's face it, and you know, Peter, it's, I certainly don't make much money out of it, right? Because <laughs> Spotify is not really angled in that way. Does that all make sense? Totally. Totally. Yes. And uh, yeah, I was going to mention the uh, the 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 piano <laughs> voice uh, iterations of the songs on the uh on the on the certainly on spotify and it's it's really lovely to hear those and i certainly am used to hearing you and piano only and that that's great but uh but also yeah it's really interesting to hear as you say the arrangements that, that have been done of the songs by different people um we're gonna hear a little in a little uh little while uh the last song but first of all um i mean you you i know you have so many uh sort of uh antecedents that in terms of, of of people who've contributed to your songwriting through their influence upon you and you're a great analyst of of, of songwriting but uh can you just for people who might want to cross-reference you with those yeah any any particular ones at the moment that you're interested people who are writing songs that you are excited by or are they mostly in the past um i think well i mean a lot of them are in the past um, because that's when I was born <laughs> uh, in a weird way. That's when I was kind of first starting to look at music. But I think that th there is one writer working today who, when they release something, I immediately sit down to go, right, I am about to be blown away. And that is the band Doors, the American band Doors, D-A-W-E-S. Mm. Um, and uh, the guy who writes for them, I think, is absolutely incredible they're a pretty successful band in america they've got i mean even though they are working at the moment a lot of their certainly earlier output had a very jackson brown-esque laurel canyon kind of quality to it which i have always adored um whereas in the past couple of records certainly on uh, there was one called passcodes it was a it was, it was released a few years ago which is much more kind of modern in its sound he has never lost his kind of understanding of structure lyric melody and harmony um, on the the first album of theirs I heard, which I think is called The North Hills, I think. Anyway, um, there's a song called A Little Bit of Everything, uh, which I think might be one of my favourite set of lyrics ever written, which is a, a massive accolade. But I think it is absolutely perfect on every level. There's a series of, um, it's essentially a series of perfectly drawn vignettes that ends with this incredibly abstract and emotional conclusion that absolutely floors me every single time. And I know it floors me because whenever I read, so sometimes, because I lecture in songwriting, okay, at, at Leeds Conservatoire, and very often, like I'll be talking to a group of students or I'll be mentoring a particular songwriter. 
And this song will come up, like we'll be talking about the capacity lyrics and I will read these lyrics out to them and I can barely get through them without kind of, you know, I have to kind of, you know, without kind of catching it in my throat kind of thing. Um, and I've, you know, and I've read these hundreds of times. Um, so, um, yeah, I think he is definitely someone who you go, all right, people do actually listen to the words really properly. Well, I shall definitely go and investigate Doors and but in the meantime uh it's time for your last song the last song of connected uh disconnected that you are choosing for us today so maybe you could introduce and just say something about this song that's coming up now rick uh this is a song called what she deserves um i came up with this piano riff that i really really liked it went had a lot of kind of Billy Joel business going on which I'm kind of into um, one of the things I observed about quite a lot of Billy Joel's music is it's often quite bitter um, and I was really interested by the idea of having a, a character move from bitterness to acceptance throughout the body of a song and then I was really interested by the idea of taking one phrase and by placing it in different places it means something completely different so in the main body of this song the phrase I hope she gets what she deserves is quite bitter, you know, like she's been horrible to me. I hope she gets exactly what she deserves. But by the end of the song, as the character has kind of found a degree of, um, I don't know, forgiveness, I guess, you know, um, but at the end of the song, the character is like, oh, I hope she gets exactly what she deserves. It's not her fault. It isn't me, you know, but I hope she gets all the, the happiness she deserves. So um, I was kind of really interested by, by the idea of starting in one place and finishing in another place. That's interesting also, and just in terms of your background or some of your background in musical theatre and how within the modern musical, at least, the thing that we are taught as songwriters to do, or we have to do really, is to travel, is to travel yeah. somehow. The character who's singing that song needs to travel some way emotionally within a song or it needs to something needs to move on so yeah I'm, I'm i it's a great song and i'm really looking forward to hearing it again and thanks so much rick for being with us today on love the words it's my absolute pleasure thank you for having me Out the 
bridge now I'm cooking on gas I've hoovered up every last hair Polished the lipstick and marked every glass Love the commas, love the apostrophes, love the colons and the question marks, love the words from East Leeds FM. No, no, Lita, no, no, Lita, per amarti, no, no, Lita. 